listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So I got to start us off since I was the one who came up with this crazy topic. So as you know, this idea has been bouncing around in my brain for about a year in the form of an article that was never written. So this is the article never written. And the topic is battle for mindshare. It's this idea that there's sort of a war being waged, at least gentlemanly, between two sort of sales training and consulting firms, CEB, which is now owned by Gardner and Rain Group. At least on one side of that kind of like war, if I'll describe it that way, which is a little bit of an extreme comment, there's definitely some direct attacks at some of the, of the thinking inside of the other sides. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about this, this battle of opposing viewpoints, sort of the battle for your mind as it relates to sales methodologies. One put forth by the Challenger sale, which was originally CEB, which is now Gardner. And of course, the other side being Rain Group and some of their recent work in the last 12 months or so. Yes. And when we're done here, are listeners going to be great salespeople? They're going to be the best salespeople ever on the face of the planet, probably crushing quotas by about 7 million percent. No, I don't think they are. I think <laughs> I think you and I both agree that we're certainly not in the business of sales training or business development consulting. So I view this more from the lens of looking at the, the intellectual capital and the thought leadership agenda and the, the, the point of view that these firms are putting in the marketplace and what they're about. And maybe, maybe the listener gets uh, some insight into some of the key takeaways of those different sets of research, but maybe just more of this sense of the battle of, of opposing viewpoints, the, the battle for your mind, really. So did I answer your question or did I just give you a big convoluted answer? It's a great answer, but I want to be clear for the listener so we can set their expectation. Agreed. And the reason we chose this subject is it's very relatable because both of these firms sell into professional services. Our listeners could very well have bought or been trained in one of these methodologies. And if they haven't, they probably have been exposed to a lot of sales methodologies because partners tend to gravitate towards you know the tangible make me a better seller, make me a rainmaker, yeah. or at least the firms I've been in in my career. And probably because I've been outside in those big firms, unlike you, Jason, is I have had a lot of exposure to sales. So, and I started out as a salesman in my career. So I've been exposed to, you know, Xerox selling, solution selling, relationship selling, Miller Hyman's strategic selling, spin <laughs> selling. Spin selling. Oh yeah. Spin yeah. selling. Challengers that. selling, Ford Harding's, you know, rain making. And I don't know how many others of these methodologies I've been through. So I am looking forward to to parsing this out. It's going to be fun. All right, Jeff. So before we get into this, maybe the best place to start is the approach to research that each of these two firms took with their thought leadership. And in the interest of time, I'll make it concise. CEB really looked at surveying sales managers to understand the behaviors of their most successful salespeople. Whereas Rain looked more at, from the buyer's perspective, what separated the winners from the second place finisher in their most recent purchase. And that governed about $3 billion in sales. So CEB sort of looking at a longer period of time, Rain's looking at a single point in time. I like that they're different. I think that, you know, to, to the point 
or the conversation around how to go head to head with a competitor, you have to take a different bent on, you know, the market and your point of view. You need to look at it from a different direction or a different data set or what have you. And I think it's interesting how while they came from different perspectives, in my mind, they ended up largely in the same place. But we'll talk about that shortly. But not being afraid to take a different look, find out white spaces is really important. But the thing that I think is really critical here, particularly for this subject area, is that it is research based. I think that has, if it's well done research, let me get that and put that caveat in there because there's a lot yeah. of people that do research, but it's not, it's not well done. But well-based research, it gives you a very strong credibility in the market and it's a great starting place. Yeah. I mean, as you know, in our research on exceptional thought leadership marketing programs, you know, truth seekers is one of the seven capabilities that we uncovered. And and really truth seeking is all about, you know, basing the th- your thinking on original primary research and bringing, you know, deep rigor to that research methodology. And, and you're right. I would agree that on the surface, both firms really brought deep rigor to the research process. And what I loved about the challenger sale as a read, you know, looking back on my you know, at least for me, my, my first exposure to the Challenger sale was really right after it was published, 2011. It started getting bantered around in, you know, networking groups I'm in or, or people I know or sales people that I work with. And everybody kind of, at least for me, my sense was that everybody sort of kind of got the snippet version of it, you know, the, the Cliff Notes version of it. You got to challenge your customers in the sales experience, sales environment, but they never actually read the, the book. And, yes. you know... Yeah. But then once you read the book, you had a different take on it. You're like, whoa, 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 time out. That's not what this is really directly saying. Once you really dive into the thinking underlying the research, you find that to some extent, the wrap that was the challenger sale, at least from my viewpoint, was a really compelling way to tell a story. But once you broke it down, the research was much more nuanced than it appeared on the surface. But that, to some extent, was the part of the power of the point of view, was that they were saying something that was controversial and different and stood in the face of what most people thought about selling, that selling was a highly relational activity and that really, it turns out that the highly relational seller was perceived to be less effective than someone who had a different set of characteristics. Yeah. Now, I feel myself on that teeter-totter between, you know, kind of point of view and research conclusion and reality of everyday selling and professional services. Mm-hmm. And that is a really nuanced distinction because if you don't have trust born out of relationship, it's hard to have the permission, if you will, to challenge. That to me is a very balanced approach. I mean, that's like theology or philosophy. You could... <laughs> parse that out for millennia. But, you know, you, you try to drive a wedge between your perspective and someone else's. And if people aren't thinking critically about it, it sounds good on the surface. Yeah. The other piece of this, at least to me, that I always find interesting once I really dove into their thinking was that 
you know, they categorized sellers into five groups. And on the surface, you think these five groups are discrete independent things, you know, five different sellers that, you know, wholly embody that the, the activities described of each individual. But really, that, that's not really what is really the truth. The truth is that every person who's in a selling environment has some of these different characteristics. They model certain behaviors more than others based on their, their personality or however they've got to the place of selling. And I think that the part of the power of, of the challenger sale was it simplified these complex ideas into ways that were really understandable while maybe sort of glossing over the details just a little bit at times, unless you really read it really closely. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, I think when, when Rain came at the market and sort of challenged some of the challenger sales thinking, that was sort of what they were exploiting. They were saying, well, wait a minute, this notion that relationship selling is dead, this relationship that solution selling is dead is just false. It's just not true. And they sort of dove into that that empty space that existed within the presentation of the research that CEB had done. You want to talk about some of the findings in these studies, you know, what, and what they mean? Yes. Yes. Because I think, I think it's important. If we take a step back, there's a basic structure here for both of these thought leadership pieces. And you hit on an, an important part of it. And that was an understanding of, you know, the selling market and, you know, seller personalities or, you know, groupings of some kind that makes it easy for people to understand, you know, these people that are really complex, right? But you got to break it down so that it's understandable. But the thing I think both of them did, and maybe Rain did a little bit better in my mind, Hmm. is I have to be able to see myself in that research. Not only do you understand these groupings, but I have to see myself in the groupings. And then once I see myself, I want to be moved to action, whether that's to change myself or to change my people or move out of my current state into a new state. That's the whole purpose of having a point of view, challenging to use. The word keeps coming out in this this podcast. You know, your prospects thinking, but demonstrating an understanding of them as human beings, helping them see themselves as human beings, and then showing them a path to action. And I think they both do that well, but I think insight wins on that front. Hmm. Interesting. That did not come through for me as much, but I can understand exactly what you're saying. And I think for me, the the way CEB had framed it, this notion that there's these five types, and then you could imagine, maybe I'm reinforcing your point, I could picture people that I've worked with or I've known or I've had on staff that fit the characteristics they described every single time for every one of those five. Also, to be honest, you know, when you look at, say, for instance, they have the reactive problem solver and the relationship builder and the hard worker, and they give the activities that those types of salespeople embody. I could imagine salespeople I've worked with who fit right into those frameworks. And I could also imagine my own personal journey as a seller at different points falling into one of those buckets. And for me, that really worked, that notion that there are these five distinct types of people. And it didn't really come out for me in the in the rain work as much. Mm-hmm. The The other thing that resonated with me around the challenger selling kind of archetypes, if you will, from a professional services perspective, not necessarily a pure B2B perspective, but definitely in the professional services world is the majority, if not, you know, super majority 
would see themselves, the consultants, accountants, lawyers would see themselves as the relationship builder. And it almost was an affront to how they've been doing sales all along, that it's been wrong or it's been the reason that it's ineffective. Yeah. And I think, you know, insight selling probably took a a softer approach on that front because they got their start in helping consultants do solution selling and relationship building. But I, I thought that distinction was really important. And actually, as I think about it, it, it kind of reflects the challenger mindset of challenging your buyer and saying, hey, you've been doing this wrong. You think relationship is, you know, all you need. But really, point of the fact is your clients don't respect you for just your relationship. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, you make a really great point. I mean, it's interesting to me in that some of the things that resonated with me inside of CEB's work was just some of the the drivers of what they were saying was changing in the marketplace. And I remember one of them was just this idea that we're seeing, you know, a, a very big rise in consensus buying, right? And I know we've certainly felt that. Even when you've got the partner of the firm, the principal, or the, the senior leader of the business. They are not comfortable pulling the trigger on investments without getting consensus among their leadership team or consensus among multiple people. And of course, then that led to this notion of, well, you need to do this, this, this idea of commercial teaching. So sort of educating those, those ancillary decision makers on things that they did not know. And so that was always a big piece of it for me that I found really interesting. At the same time, on the rain side, when I think about some of their work around insight selling, to your point, one of the things that always resonated with me inside of what they were saying was that relationship selling is shifting. You know, so and I think to me that was, and in essence, what I always thought Challenger was trying to convey was that you know, leading with personal connections. So to your point, you know, the relational selling model that consultants and accountants and attorneys have followed for years, you know, build these personal relationships first, and business will follow has sort of been flipped upside down. You know, start with business value and then you'll earn the relationship. And I, and I, I think that's a really important insight that Rain brought to market in this piece that Challenger did as well. But to your point, I think Rain did a better job of capturing what's really happening there. Mm-hmm. You know, I have an example there too. A former agency owner here in town that was a good friend of mine. In fact, he's a good reason I'm in the agency business in general. And he told me, I remember years ago, he told me his most successful sales activity had been for years, he would basically just mail forks to prospects. So he would mail them a fork with a note that said, hey, let's just have lunch. And that's how he opened the doors into like a lot of his relationships. And and it worked exceptionally well. And this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I can't imagine that strategy working right now, personally, certainly not for me. You know, this notion that I'm going to start a dialogue over lunch, I'm much more likely to start a dialogue with a prospective client over insight, right? Over hey, here's this new thinking on this topic and you might find this interesting and useful. I think you're right. And that is the fruit of effective marketing. We've heard all these statistics, you know, from the content marketing world about prospects going out and doing all this investigative work before they even call. And they really are primed and ready to go much deeper, much more personalized, and they really want to understand what it is like to work with, you know, the people of your firm. And I've said this before on some of our other podcasts, and I live by this mantra with my clients, is that how you sell me 
is how you serve me. And, you know, there was clear research out of CEB on that front that the majority of the great client experience comes from the sales experience. I think their research basically says that that's the key point of differentiation at this point. That, you know, you can't differentiate on product. You can't differentiate on service. That was at least the argument they were making and that the sales experience was everything. It was your best chance to differentiate in general. Yeah. And Miller Um, Hyman and CSO say something very similar. We have an upcoming podcast with David Ryan of Gray Matters. Says a very similar thing. How you sell me is how you serve me. and that is so important. And that's why moving from these silos to, you know, integrated clients experience is so important. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Let's jump back into the two studies and how they position their thought leadership. At least to me, one of the more powerful insights that came out of the rain was this idea of shifting away from problems and pains to gains. So the idea of you know spending less time and energy really diagnosing the client's need and spending, to your point, the client sort of comes expecting you to know the need. And what they really want your help on is helping think through what they missed opportunities are. Where could they unlock the future wants that they really have in ways that they hadn't thought of previously? So if I were to dial back all of Rain's work, that to me was probably the single most powerful insight in their research Mm -hmm. and not necessarily new information, but I thought it was presented really in a compelling and, you know, accessible way. So there's two things that are really strong about that in my mind. The first one is it challenged, again, conventional thinking because the mantra in B2B and professional services world up to that point was asking the idiotic question, what keeps you up at night? Yep. That everybody was asking that question. Oh, I hated when agencies came in and asked that question because to me, it demonstrated a it, one, it was, it, it was technique. It wasn't sincere. It was faddish. It told me that they didn't do their homework. There was nothing in it. So I think that was a positive positioning of this point of view in that it challenged that trite approach that sales was using. The second thing, and I think this is peppered throughout both of these, and although I hate it, I really do hate it, (laughs) is there are these little catch phrases and terms that give firms a nomenclature to share so Mm -hmm. that the points of view can become more viral around you know, the water cooler and partner meetings or sales meetings. And we could go through both of these and probably pull out, you know, 25 or more uses of language. And some of it may be proprietary. Some of it may not. Some of it will go viral. Some of it will not. But it peppers throughout each of these studies. And again, it goes back to being understandable 
I would add the next attribute of being shareable, which is one of the the actions we want people to take with our point of views. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, and just to call them out for our listeners, you know, CEB uses a framework they call teach, tailor and take control, which is sort of just a a methodology for what the the sales lead should do in the sale. And then Rain sort of counters with a a one that's that they call connect, convince and collaborate. And it's sort of, again, same thing. It's sort of like the three levels of selling that, that helps the seller sort of, I guess, build some framework for how they're going to approach their conversations. And I agree with everything you said, which is that they always do feel a little trite when it gets sort of broken down into these very simple things, especially when you're talking about highly complex, usually very high ticket sales activities that, you know, firms are endeavoring upon. But they do make it easier for, like you said, for people to understand the concepts, share them, talk about them and collaborate on them, not to you know use that word again. So in a sense... That's a key part of successful thought leadership, right? Is that you you make difficult, complex concepts, difficult, complex research, and you break it down to a place that people can understand it and apply it and share it and act upon it. You know, so I guess they both succeeded in that regard. Yeah, I think so. Although I, I think I give it to Challenger maybe a little more on that front. They created those kind of sales personas. Yeah. Say, hey, I'm a challenger sale. I'm a relationship sale. I don't know that Insight created that kind of view. Maybe they did, but I, I don't recall them. Yeah. So it tells me even if they did, they didn't do as good a job because it's not as as memorable. I think they both did a good job. I really believe in the rule of threes. And, you know, there are three C's, there are three T's, set up brand architectures. You know, there's always a three pyramid schema. For those, because that's the way the human mind consumes and remembers information. I found, you know, with insight selling, I really like their detail of attributes and the attributes were kind of hard hitting in terms of, hey, you just may not be a salesman, right? You need to have some gravitas and you have to have some certain personality characteristics. And if you don't, then don't bother because- Sales training isn't going to help you. So there was an honesty to it as well. So I'm left with a net impression, but maybe not a memorable, shareable moniker for it. I always felt one of the more powerful pieces of work that CEB actually did in the Challenger sale was sort of deep in the book where they describe the emotional journey of a commercial teaching pitch. So they have this framework of the commercial teaching pitch and essentially how the salesperson should lead the client to the solution versus lead with the solution. That's a big part of their thinking. But they map it against sort of how you want your client to feel, how you want your customer to feel at various points of this journey on the pitch. And I don't know that it ever gets really collapsed down to a pitch in the way they do it, at least for most professional services firms. But I thought they were really, really thoughtful about thinking about the emotional ride you want your clients to be on and how, what you want them to feel during the sale. And how important that is to getting to the successful outcomes you have both for you as the seller, the firm, and then of course, client as the buyer, you know, getting you mutually together to a better place. You know, if I had to dial it back, I would say there's some really powerful thinking in that, that we've applied multiple times, either in client engagements or in various ways in in the work we, you know, just in our selling philosophy. You hit on a great subject (laughs) or a great point. The thing that I take away from the challenger sale is again, they create a dissonance from the traditional selling model that insight selling doesn't. And 
insight selling talks about providing insights, whereas the challenger sale talks about teaching. We as human beings can relate to teachers and our good teachers and our bad teachers from our, you know, grade school, high school, college lives. And we immediately have an emotional and visible reaction to a word like teach. Mm-hmm. And I think they really nailed it with that word. Again, going back to, and this is speaking to marketers who are working with consultants, the value that marketers can bring to research like this is the humanization of it, of taking that pure consultant rational approach to solving a problem and putting a human face and feel to it. And Challenger took all of that research and really broke it down to be a teacher. Who knows? They might have looked at the title of the book, The Teacher Sale. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Challenger Sale sounds, you know, more manly, I guess, but it really is the teacher sale. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that's one of the things that Rain goes right after in their research. They try to say, you know, Challenger is too antagonistic, that you're essentially picking a fight with your customer and that's not what you should be doing. You should be collaborating with them, which I think is a little bit of hyperbole in the sense that that's not really what CEB was trying to say. They just happened to use the moniker of the Challenger to get you to, like you said, to wrap your head around the concept. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that because, you know, I think about, an experience I'm having right now, we just stood up a new retirement program for our employees. They went through the process of interviewing and, and selecting someone to, to work with. And I would say that the people we hired, that's probably the number one reason I hired them was that I thought that in the sale, the managing partner of, the, of this firm was the best teacher I'd ever experienced in the arena of financial services. You know, he just, he was so clear and coherent and he did such a good job of educating me on things I didn't, wasn't aware of and made it so understandable that you know, my comfort level with, with his firm went up, you know, rapidly in the process. You know, that notion of teaching, I think is a big one because he never felt like he was lecturing me or tearing me down for mistakes I'd made or whatever. It was, let me, let me build you up and teach you where you're misunderstanding things or where you're getting things wrong. Mm-hmm. We're about out of time. So I, I'm going to make a suggestion. Here's my suggestion is I want you to pick off one thing you like about each methodology and then tell me who you think won. And I'm going to tell you, I'll do the same thing. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Well, this was your subject. So I'm going to let you go last and, and, and close with the thing. I'm looking forward to what you have to say. I like so much about both of these. <laughs> My sales and consulting and marketing approach is shaped by both of them along with many others. So it's really hard to put a, a stake in the ground. But I'll say these two things. For the challenger sale, outside of that, being challenging in in teaching, which is an obvious one. What I liked about the challenger sale was the concept of how marketing allows the challenge at scale across the organization, because that's always been my perspective, that marketing sets the table and enables sales to actually challenge. And that came through in the challenger sale. And when I read that, the first time many years ago, I could have written this book. I wish I had written this book. I wish I would have read this book so I didn't have to learn all this stuff the hard way. So <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite thing. It's my love-hate relationship with the Challenger sale. The that's thing funny. that I love 
about Insight selling and their positioning. I like their gravitas. I love their willingness to go right at it. But I cannot get that parallelogram or whatever they use in their methodology for how you carry the story arc and the conversation of insight selling out of my mind. I just love it. I think it's brilliant. And it makes perfect sense to me from my own experience, but they reinforce it with their research and validate it in my mind. So it ties to that Seth Godin, people like us do things like this mantra that, yeah, I can work with that because that's kind of who I am and how I think anyway. So I love the parallelogram or whatever that shape is. Yeah. It works for me. So. All right, I don't declare a winner yet. Let me give my single okay. thoughts and then, we'll, and then we'll declare winners if there is one. The one thing we haven't talked about from the challenger that I always really liked was they have a phrase that says, you know, when you're bringing that in that corporate teaching moment, when you're bringing new insight to the client, the goal is not to resonate. The goal is to reframe. So the, you know, you, you know, you've done it well when the client, you know, says, huh, I never thought about it that way before. Rather than the client says, oh, I totally agree. I love that. I live for those moments. Exactly. And when that happens, you know, as a seller, that you really understand your client's situation much better than they expected you to. Mm -hmm. And that's what you live for as a consultant, right? Mm -hmm. And a human being. Yeah. On the the rain side, if I think about one thing to me that jumps out, I already mentioned it, but it's just the shift from pains to gains. Just this notion of focusing on the potential not on the problems, not the what keeps you up at night thing. You know, we've embraced that long before I ever read the inside selling stuff, but I love that they really narrowed in on that as a really critical issue in, in the sale. Yeah, um, let's go FUD because FUD is the IBM. Yeah. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. So, who won, who lost? Let's declare winners. Who's, who's winning the battle for Mindshare? I'll let you go first. I would say, hands down, who's winning the sheriff of our mindshare challenger sale. I don't have any empirical evidence to support that. But I think if you ask people name three selling methodologies, challenger sale is going to come up to the top. Is it the best methodology? I don't necessarily agree because I don't believe there is one, but for just sheer mindshare challenger sale for who's producing the most ROI after a training and which one's adopted better? I'd like to know the answer to that. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I have no idea on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the, right, that's the right question. Not the one that people know the most of, but what one's actually producing. And that is a very important question to reinforce because you need both. You need the mind share and you need the proof points. Yeah. Well, I'll say Challenger Sales, CEB definitely is, is winning. But the very fact that Rain is sort of picking a fight with him you know, tells you something. And I never saw, you know, CB ever respond to that. And at least I didn't. They certainly have unbelievable proof points on their website for some amazing work they've done with some very high profile clients and the gains they've gotten. And then of course, just, you know, because they were a publicly traded company at one time, you can literally point to double revenue growth, you know, the exit to Gardner at, you know, a billion, $2.6 billion valuation. I mean, 
it created a ton of value for for CEB over the seven years between the mm-hmm. time they published that book and the time they exited to Gardner. And it's hard to believe that they didn't create a ton of value for clients with that type of rapid growth as well. But you know, like you said, you don't really know. Hey, that's a surprising conclusion coming from somebody that runs just a agency. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed, but agencies have created that, huh? But agencies probably create the most value of any form of professional services firm ever. Okay, with that, we're going to cut to close. (laughs) (laughs) And see you, buddy. All right, man. I'll see you. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. (laughs) 